Should we probably do something funny for like the start of the recordings? Because Sam likes to do like a funny spoof at the start of recordings, doesn't she? Okay. Like what? I don't know. Think of something funny. (laughs) (laughs) Was that funny enough for you, mate? (laughs) I'm sorry, I didn't realise I was putting you on the spot. where we listen and reflect on episodes of Call the Midwife. I'm Charlie, and she is Kimberly. Hello. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of... That's it, lads. And also, we get pissed. We do. I definitely do. get... Yeah, we definitely get pissed. Um, and speaking of which, Kim, what are you drinking tonight? Oh, martinis in my posh glass have to say guys i when i first saw this glass i thought she had like a giant glass but actually it's a small glass it's just her hands look (laughs) creepily small yes thank you i have very small hands and i have not satisfied many women with them so thank you for pointing that out (laughs) you've got a massive tongue though i have yeah yeah she's like a lizard it's it's because she's welsh I have to roll it up in the morning and use a paper clip on it to keep it in place. That's <laughs> why she can't work on phones. And it's why lots of times I can't talk properly because there's just too much going on in there. Yeah, it's like a party and no one's invited. Oh, no, people are invited. <laughs> in fact, lots of people are invited. They just choose not to come. <laughs> in many different ways, they choose not to come. <laughs> Um, right, moving on. Uh, so you're drinking a martini. I, by the way, I was challenged after the last podcast and I was told that my drink choices of raspberry vodka were boring. Um, and I was challenged. How dare they? I know, rude. Uh, so I was asked to drink a different drink and you listeners will be very pleased to hear that not only have I done this, but it's absolutely fucking rank. <laughs> Just pure gopping. But in today's episodes, um, they drink a cocktail called the Grasshopper. And the Grasshopper, uh, which I went to Google for, has creme de menthe in it and white chocolate to cocoa and single cream. And, you know, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be green. Now, I went to like four different off licenses to try and find creme de menthe. And I have not been able to find it. The only thing with mint in that I could find was Sambuca with mint. So I got to be fair, if you wanted something that ancient, you should have just gone to your great aunt's house. I bet she's got some tucked away under the cupboard, under the stairs cupboard, something like that. Who the fuck drinks? Honestly, I was like, I need creme de month. And they were like, creme de fucking what? I was like, the month. They were like, it's what month? What? 
Then, Mum, I need menthol creme. Where is it? They were like, we've none in We've store. got menthol oh, fags, love, but we ain't got any cream. I was like, right, okay, well, I'll have mint sambuca then and make do. <laughs> and then I was like, I need white chocolate. I need, I need white, like, there needs to be a cream liqueur. So I need, like, a white chocolate liqueur. And they were like, we don't sell this. Why have you come into our shop and given what? us these rogue fucking requests? <laughs> so I was like, right, I'll use Bailey's and I'll get some single cream. But I've also got some chocolate liqueur in the back back of the cupboard that's been there for years. So I'll just bang all of this in my cocktail shaker. And um, so it's like a, so it's supposed to taste, I think, like um, mint, like aero, like aero well, chocolate. Like after eight mints, like yeah. Patty says. That's what you should have done. Just melt down after eight mints and stir some vodka in. That's what you should have done. No, I I committed. I committed to you, fuckers. I was Charlie. like, no, I will give the people what they want. And no. what they want is a gop hidden drink. So, no, I have, told, my, my I have told you before. Oh, my God, it's vile. I've told you before you need to do more shortcuts. Oh, your face looks a picture. It is so horrible. And also, I don't like Sambuca because it's got that kind of licorice aftertaste. And a CD. It's aniseedy. It's aniseedy yeah. in my mouth. Someone aniseeded in my mouth. Yeah. Ooh. Anise- Ooh. Well, uh, anas are usually very nice, but you don't want the seed in your mouth. You don't want no. seed in your mouth. Seed in your mouth is a bad day. But uh, I've committed. I've committed to you people on the podcast, and I would like some kudos for that. Not only have I not had my requisite red <laughs> raspberry and vodka. I was going to just have blood orange vodka and Diet Coke instead to shake it up. But no, I went all out and made this absolutely gopping drink. So To be fair, it is your time to be sick or your turn it, to be sick, rather. I'm I've pretty had sure that I will be sick because this is a lot of cream that will curdle with the alcohol. I feel like you know my pain from the Advocar episode now. Listen, we that shots episode, we both decided to do shots. Don't shots. remind me. I mean, so guys, um, just to clarify, this is actually our penultimate episode. This is Woo-hoo! the it's nearly over. A sigh of relief from you all. So this is our, <laughs> you know, there's only one more episode after this because we had a little think and we had a look, little look through kind of the play by play, and what we found was there wasn't a huge amount of cupcake because. Emerald Fennell leaves episode two. So what we're going to do is this episode one and episode two, we're going to smush, smush together. Um, this is series six, through. guys. This is series six. Yeah. Um, and we're going to smush it all together. And then we're going to summarize all of Delia's bits and then their big reunion in the next episode. And that that will be the end of Pupcake because they, they run off to the sunset together. And they, you know, they don't come back, not for weddings, not for funerals, not for anything. They will not come back. Nothing can convince Emerald Fennell and Kate Lamb to come back. Oh, ever. Kate Lamb had come back in a heartbeat. Not at the minute. Well, maybe not. Well, she could. She could give birth live. Yeah, but would Patsy not be able to be like, why are you pregnant, Delia? <gasps> Shock twist. It was Garbo. Oh, the Pupcake fandom would explode. Oh, man. Could you imagine? I don't want to imagine. That would be There's so weird. There's bound to be. Is Garbo a, a dog? 
Yeah, it's <sighs> bound to be a furry subset where that's a, that's a fic. Oh, God, I really hope not. I, I don't think we we can't take the furries. Do you know what I mean? Like there's enough going on. In, there's enough going on in the world. There's without, room for everyone. In not this for world. them to be cats. Have they got to be cats? I, it doesn't matter. They could be whatever they want to be. But that's furry. the point of life. Yeah. Okay. Because that's what they want. To be cats. To be, well, whatever. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is actually not my first grasshopper. This is my second <laughs> Stop making cat things. What? In the... Creepy. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> that was uh, British that's, sign language for cat. That's one hell of a pussy. That's all I can say. Wow. I do try. <sighs> so, this episode, so this is Series 6, Episode 1 and 2, and it's kind of all about Patsy's choice. Should she stay or should she should go? Should she go? No. Should she stay or should she go? She should go. Um, episode 1, this kind of, so the first episode feeds in from the Christmas special, because the Christmas special had absolutely no real cupcake in it. Um, but just to summarise, it follows on, and while they were there... Sheila and Dr. Turner were clearly banging each other's lights out all over the point. Must be the heat. And also, oh. I have to say, like, if you're in Poplar and it's Christmas and a midwife is anywhere near you, you must feel this sense of, like, absolute panic. It must, like, yeah. be like if Miss Marple comes to stay at your bed and breakfast. You know somebody's going to die. die. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, if an, if an Anata nun starts to be like, oh, this, this, actually leans heavily on my own backstory like you're probably pregnant and don't know it mm. you just avoid them wouldn't you like the play you'd be like no fuck off i've no interest thank you just slam the door in their face like fuck off yeah. um they could probably turn that into a metaphor though couldn't they oh yeah yeah probably yeah. slamming mm. the door on your problems it's not healthy babe not at no. christmas um but yeah, also Tom and Barbara got engaged in uh, South Africa and Tom proposed to her with a bit of grass. Oh, the little grass. Little... I know. It's cute. Yeah. Um, also, Fred went. I forgot Better than a used went. condom. Yeah, the ring of a used condom. It'd be a very small mm. condom, wouldn't it, to fit on a ring finger? Well, maybe Tom's not that big. Well, probably not. Um, but why did Fred go to South Africa? I can't remember. Um, wasn't it because he was in the Pioneer Corps, so they thought he might be useful? I feel like Clint Party, like he just needed um, an extra I, bit. He wanted a free holiday, didn't he? Yeah, probably. Maybe they needed a certain cast quota to go out to make the BBC pay for it. Maybe, but yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, but also, so Trixie has stayed behind for two months because she's considering becoming a surgeon. Um, <laughs> I would said, love to have seen that actually just Trixie on her own in South Africa Trixie yeah. on tour <laughs> just going round to random villages cutting women's stomachs open yeah beautiful be a very different be like Dexter um, <laughs> yeah. but the gang arrived back to find that Nanatus has turned into cold uh, domestic violence has sprung up all around them and there's a new head nun and they've been sent from the mothership slash hell. Um, and she's a pantomime style baddie. Um, 
Mm, is she? I see now. This is my point. Well, like, I don't actually disagree with some of the things that she's saying. I don't, and I think actually she's played for last. They just don't land. Yeah, she's that very dry sense of humour. Yeah. Also, has to be said. I don't I, like now. I know that this is a podcast about pup cake, and I realise not everybody's going to be into this, but I am a massive Discworld Terry Pratchett fan. Huge Discworld fan. And I firmly believe, ever since I've seen her in this series, Harriet Walter, who plays um, Sister Ursula, I think she would be an amazing Granny Weatherwax. And I also think Miriam Margoyles would make an amazing... Margoyles? (laughs) (laughs) Miriam Margoyles. (laughs) I also think she would make an amazing Nanny Og. Okay. Okay, now if anybody in the Discord, anybody else like is into uh, this kind of series, then uh, you know, hit me up, let me know what you think about this because honestly, she is my head cannon. When I think if they ever made an adaptation, I'll be so upset if they don't pick her <laughs> because she is the fit face that I think of whenever I read any of the witches books now. She's like a perfect Granny Weatherwax. Okay. I've no idea who you're talking about, but I'll go with it. Oh, my God. Have you never read the Discworld books? Nope. Oh, Kim. I can't I read. <laughs> I'll get you it in Braille. No. <laughs> I'm no, going to send you the dis- I'm going to send you the Witches books. No, somebody yeah. gave me some of the Terry Pratchett books once, and I just put them in a charity shop. <gasps> I've got no I've... interest. No interest. I tried oh, playing. No. What's that board game based on Discworld? Is it All Man? All Man? Third. No, no, all oh, man. No, it's third. That's no, <laughs> it's not. It's got a longer name than that. It's third. I'm on something. I don't think it's Discworld. Oh, okay. Well, then I don't know what I'm talking about then. I am gonna. I am gonna send you a witch's book. No, I don't yeah. want one. I I'm don't want one. You. And if you don't read it, then it will break my heart. Well, then prepare for a broken heart. That's <gasps> what I say. Bitch! How is that? I don't want it! <laughs> you can't force your likes on me! I think you'd really enjoy it. No, I don't like things like that. What, books? No! <laughs> I would have been at the front of the queue burning them! I'm not interested! <gasps> oh, that's so disappointing. Okay, well, if anybody else who's oh, not... Oh, come you on! Know... Do you think I could be this well-read? Hating books, come on. She just doesn't want to read the books that I suggest. I don't want to read the Discworld books. Okay, I'm not into sci fi. It's not sci fi. All the witches <laughs> are basically piss takes of Shakespeare. <laughs> well, anyway. send me the one based on Twelfth Night. I'll understand. Okay, that Lords and Ladies, you're okay. on. <laughs> send me that one and I'll, I'll go with it and I'll tell you what I think. Okay, okay, all right, fair enough. Okay, okay, I'm excited now. Okay, so, <laughs> so the episode, uh, episode one starts with um, Patsy and Delia. First of all, Sister Ursula is like telling uh, Monica Joan off for gyrating in front of the TV. Oh, which... I love this scene. I love could, this scene. Could you imagine like coming in and finding Sister Monica Joan humping the telly? <laughs> like, what is going on here? At least it wasn't like, I don't know, something by, you know, David Attenborough with Wales. That would have been very symbolic. It absolutely would. But then it's um, Patsy and Delia. They're running through the hallway. And oh, I think... no. Before you go on, actually, 
Um, Sister Monica Joan, there was an interesting line where she said, effectively, you can't turn the TV off that quickly because it interrupts the embers or something. Well, I can't remember what she said, but it sounded like she was talking about the television. But I think she was actually talking about herself. As in it disrupts me too much. It was quite interesting. Anybody that watches the episode, go back and let us know what you think. Yep. Do let us know. But yeah, so Patsy and Delia are in the corridor and Patsy is tidying Delia's hair. And Delia then ends up being, like she says that she's, uh, you know, she needs all the help she can get because she's studying to be a midwife and she keeps being reprimanded in class. Can I just say, I really like the uniforms. I think there should be more capes in nurses uniforms I, think, I want a cape i think nurses should be allowed to wear capes at all times irrespective oh, yeah. of their, their specialism because they're superheroes yep quite right but i would love a cape i would, I would not wear it appropriately whatsoever but i would love a cape and there's a distinct lack of capes in the nurses outfits these days and i don't think it's very cool when my when I was little, I was very into magic tricks. I like doing yeah, magic tricks surprised. to the adults. And my grandma was a very good seamstress, so she made me from scratch a little top hat and a little cape. And I used to wear this top hat, top hat and cape everywhere. It was great. Loved it. I really wish I still had that cape. I once um, got so I was in the girl guides, and I got made to stand outside and stare at the wall as punishment because they brought in a magic magician and he was okay. doing and he was doing all the oh look at this coin on the table where does the coin go and we were all kind of standing around and I was like it's in his left hand and they were annoying <laughs> and he was like no, it's not. I went, there's a magnet. Look, you can see the magnet between his fingers. He, he picked it up off the table when he was doing all that guff. Picked it up with his other hand. It's in his left hand. You're wasted. You should be an MI5 or MI6. I know. And, they were, and then, honestly, I was told off. i tell you another injustice from scouts that I remembered the other day, okay? We had a woman come to do a talk about hedgehogs. Yeah? Oh, right, okay. And she, like, we'll call her Sharon for brevity. Uh, yeah, why not? What called. Right, and Sharon, and Sharon was at the front of the thing with this big, like, homemade placard saying, ask me anything about hedgehogs. And she had, like, an albino hedgehog and a, like, a non-albino hedgehog, like, a regularly coloured hedgehog. And she was talking about what they ate. She was talking for ages. And then she was like, right, girls, I'd like to open it out to the floor. And Does anyone have any questions? And my hand immediately went up. I was like, <laughs> I was like thank you very much, Sharon. That was fascinating. Um, <laughs> would, you, would you please tell me? How can you tell the difference between a boy hedgehog and a girl hedgehog? And where do baby hedgehogs come from? <laughs> <laughs> and Sharon was like, no, I can't give you that information. And I'm like, well, Sharon, you didn't equivocate. You've got a board behind you right there that says, ask me anything about hedgehogs. Quite frankly, I feel like you've either lied to me or you don't have the requisite knowledge of hedgehogs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I bet you were annoying, weren't you? I bet you were annoying. I was like, I just want to know, how can you tell the difference? Like, is there different spines? Are the boys, you know, more hungry? Are they bigger? Like, how does it happen? Obviously, we know about the penis, but I'm wondering if there are more interests. Like, and anyway, uh, they made me go and stand at the wall. Basically, there was a cloakroom at the back of the hall, and that's where they used to make me stand all the time and stare at the wall. If you I mean, okay, Charlie, so you mean 
those really intelligent, clever questions that showed a thirst for knowledge and, you know, a cleverness probably beyond your age was stifled out by traditional educational methods. Uh, yeah, I know. It's a shocker. Yeah, it's, it's not, a shocker. It's, it's a shocker. It's very rarely discussed. But yeah, no, they made me go and stand at the hall. Obviously, they didn't shoot me. They were like, to the wall. And I was like, oh, Bolsheviks. Oh, but no, like God. it didn't get... <laughs> And then my mum used to pick me up and be like, why are you standing at the wall? Like, there was that I'm one time we were making... from the king of the north. I was like, they've made me stand here. She's like, why? And I was like, all I asked Sharon was some very clear questions about hedgehogs. And once again, here I am at the cloakroom wall. Quite frankly, I think I'd like to leave Girl Guides because you it's see, not I meeting think my it, needs. An intelligence and a lateral thinking of that sort should not have been stifled, is my yeah, opinion. Thank you. Luckily, I found other outlets for it. Yeah. As an adult. Such Good. Such a drunk podcast. Well, haven't we all? Haven't we all? And obviously your writing, which everybody needs to go on to AO3 to read. They do not. They, they do. do. Any more people telling me that I need to update my writing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. You've seen my ploy. But yeah, so Patsy's tidy and Delia's hair. Back to the back to Pupcake. Oh, it was um, sweet. It was a sweet scene. I really like this scene because Patsy is definitely an actions kind of woman. She's not a chat about her feelings, and I feel like we don't get to see a lot of Patsy kind of being that kind of affectionate with Delia. Yeah. And I feel like it was a really nice scene. And also, I think it's very obvious that they basically fucked in every room at this point, all over <laughs> Nanatus. Because they've had yeah. Christmas holidays for themselves. And I noticed. Well, yeah, and I noticed mm. that she had a very good bra on. Did you? <laughs> mm. I uh, I didn't notice that. Uh, yeah, I felt like there was, there was a good bra scene here. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like there was good posture and good bra in this scene, I'll be honest. I d- I do enjoy a woman with good posture and a good bra. Yeah, me too. I prefer them when they're not wearing the bra, though, to be honest. Oh, no, I quite like, yeah, it's nice when you can take it off yourself. Yeah, very true. Yeah. It's like wrapping your favourite present. I know, isn't it? That's. It's I think I have said that on many occasions. Yeah. But, yes, yeah, so, um, but I think, do you think with Patsy, because she's so shit at communicating, but she, if she can physically show her love and affection to someone, that is how she does it. She's mm. basically that mate that will come round after you've had a baby and they'll hoover and bring food, but they don't want to hold the baby. Like, <laughs> yes, they're that friend. <laughs> and I feel like we can all kind of identify with that. But we all need those bit. friends as well. We need that friend. We need that practical friend who is there to do and not really touch anybody in the process. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but there is discourse in an artist, and this slowly unfolds over the whole Do you episode. mean discord? No, this is discourse. Okay. Incidentally, if anyone would like to join our Discord. <laughs> oh, that was subtle. That was that, subtle, wasn't it? it was, honestly, it was smooth like a dolphin. Yeah, but, uh, like... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like a freshly shaved leg. That was very smooth. But you might but ask, like your... <laughs> you might ask but, your wife no. to put her hands over. <laughs> yes, quite. Demand, more like. Demand. <laughs> well, why not? You've married. Demand what you like, whether it's given, is another thing. Yeah. But, yeah, so there is discord, discourse in the notice. <laughs> um, at the lunch, so 
everybody rocks up. So they've got out. Everyone's very happy to be back from South. Also, no one has a tan, which I feel like is a continuation error. But I'll well, no, but they've they've been working in little huts. So why would they have a tan? Uh, they're in South Africa. In the oh, summer yeah. period, they would absolutely have a tan. Especially Winifred doesn't even look red, and she's ginger. But she's completely covered in her habit. Not her and face. Her, and her mini wimple. Mini wimple. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they arrive and they they are greeted at the door and everyone's really happy to see them. And they go in for lunch. And when they get into lunch, it's just fucking bread and butter. No, it's a bit of cheese and a bit of ham. Bit of cheese and a bit of ham. Not what you want for 19 people and Fred. He could eat all that on his own. He absolutely could. Um, but it's fuck all. And Sister Ursula but it's a, says... it's a frugal lunch. They're being frugal. And, and you know, Julienne turns up. Now, Julienne is like the top nun. She's like head nun of the nunhood. She's like senior... <laughs> she's like... <laughs> <laughs> the head nun of the nunhood. That her wimple has got a little tiny mini wimple. Like... <laughs> <laughs> And like, like a little badge of honour. Yeah. She's got like extra crucifix on her little girl and stuff. She's like, no, hers has a, no, her cross has Jesus on it. Yeah, and everyone else, else like, Everybody so else like, has a plain cross. Like a Lance Corporal nun. There's <laughs> like, <laughs> like a bronze crucifix and like a sergeant has a silver and yeah. a major has a gold. And then the top head nun, like the brigadier nun, is, you know. Brigadier nun. <laughs> It sounds like a character from a flipping Regency <laughs> play, doesn't it? <laughs> the Brigadier Nun. And the Brigadier the Nun. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but, yeah, um, so Sister Ursula's like, uh, before we eat, Julianne, uh, then the mother house is actually going to ring you. The mothership's on the blower. So why don't you fuck off in there and take that phone call while I just hang out and stare at everybody? Because that's how you make a really good first impression. You just stare bitches out. <laughs> um, so everyone's like, okay, this woman has basically given us like a bit of dust and half an apple for lunch. <laughs> and now, and like, they try and stop What's it. What's some mud? Some mud? Some dust? <laughs> cake. Everyone love cake. Cake. <laughs> dust. And, uh, dust. Dust. Everybody likes dust. But, um, so Julianne gets on the blower and basically whoever works at the mothership, we still haven't got a face to anyone. Sister Emmanuel Jesus in it. Okay. Isn't that the, the head head nun in the mothership? She's the um yeah. She's the priory of Scion chieftain. Yeah, yeah, she's she's whipping herself in the She's got salises all over her body. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the Catholics are going to be so upset with us. But yeah, sorry. So Julianne takes this phone call and they're basically like, Julianne, you're sacked. You've been on holiday. You've been to South Africa. And while you've been away, you've been usurped by Ursula. And Julianne comes back and she's clearly really upset, but she's actually very, um, very polite about it. And she says, you know, I've just been told that um, my job is cancelled and Sister Ursula is going to be taking on board all of the leadership because apparently I'm shit. And may I be the first to say what a wonderful decision that has been. And everyone at the table is like, <gasps> it's a big gasp, isn't it? It's a big change 
from the Nanatus that we know and love. And we're all not really sure. And it's... no one at that dinner table is sure if they munch on like a mouse's thigh. <laughs> oh. oh, wow. I bet it makes great gravy, though. Fuck. I don't know. There's probably like an American Thanksgiving gravy recipe. I'm sure Sam could. <laughs> Someone's got a fat... Mate, use the whole thigh of the mouse, though, not... <laughs> Not just the legs. No, you grind. Um, no, you grind the bones up, and that provides the thickness. <laughs> this recipe was brought to you by the giant from Jack and Beanstalk. <laughs> 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 oh, um, but you know, um, it's difficult, isn't it? It's, a, it's clearly a political decision. Yeah, you this... wouldn't think pol- politics. <laughs> I mean, politics with a small p would come into. You know, religious house decisions. I think Sister Ursula has got naked pictures of Sister Emmanuel Jesuit. And as a result, that's how she's got this big poster. Oh, it's bright. No, she's come from the, 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 um, cottage hospital that they run. So theoretically. Yeah, down because it was yeah, shit. But theoretically, a cottage hospital is bigger than Nanata's house. So who takes precedence? I think they should have just arm wrestled. No. Better idea. Naked mud wrestling. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a very different showing on BBC. I'm definitely on Jenny Eikert's side on this oh, one. Oh, mate, she, would, she's, she looks like she'd be one for an elbow. No, no, I don't reckon she's dirty. I, well, I hope she's dirty, but in a different <laughs> sense. I don't think she's a dirty player. I think she's Sister quite Ursula is definitely a dirty player. Yeah, definitely. But I reckon Sister Julianne plays a straight game and just wins on sheer skill and capability. They're secretly taught to be ninjas, like warrior nuns. <laughs> and it... <laughs> anyway, Ursula has clearly been cracking the whip and she's there to bean count. Um, she's had the telly off the wall and in the next scene, Julianne's been told to move furniture and she's very like, yes, I will move this whole piano across the room and they're all like sister julienne what are you doing doing manual labor you're like 900 years old sure like everybody knows yeah. you're spot of poplar clearly they should have put you on like front desk no or something. it's just like when christ carried his own cross to that hill that's what it is that's what it, it is. It's, it's the as she agreed to do it as well. She was just like, I, I actually don't mind lifting this table. I'd be like, right, well, tell your face and get on with it then. I've already got the weight of the world upon yeah. me. I may as well carry this too. <laughs> the martyrs. Um, this week's mum is a gangster's mole. Her name's Trudy. Her husband's Lester. Lester gets out of prison. Um, and he would like his sensitive son, Mickey, to go boxing, ignoring the fact that Mickey, during this entire episode, is dressed as a pirate and only has one eye and has absolutely no depth perception. I mean, like, look, I get it, Lester. You want him to be hard. I get that. But why not just teach him something that doesn't require so much depth perception, like swimming? No, Lester has won his awards for boxing. He wants to create his son in his own image. It's classic God complex. Yeah, it's just, you know, I'm not feeling it. Um, but Lester, you know, there's a lot of scenes with Lester, but I'm going to just summarise it because we've got to do two episodes. Basically, Lester is a bit of a wrong one. Um, and he manages about half an hour. A bit? Of be- a bit? Well, it's quite of a wrong one. Managed about half an hour out of prison for beating the living shit out of his wife and locking her away a la Fritzl style. 
Um, so it's all kind of <laughs> it's it's not the marriage that you dream of as a little girl, is no. it? No, no, not really. Mm, so it's not what we want. Um, Patsy and Delia are officially chilling in their bedroom now, which I really like because clearly, like in the interim while the rest have been away, they've not had any eyes on them. So mm. I think they've really gone to town with this bad boy on each other. Oh, absolutely! Like, yeah, there is no I reckon, like they've absolutely gone. I think they've had more sex in that Christmas special than I've had in my entire life. Honestly, and clearly because they only left like two midwives. There was no one in Poplar who was like, there wasn't a significant baby boom that year. So I reckon they might have had Christmas Eve off and absolutely smashed it. You know, like where the phone is and everything. I reckon like, <laughs> is like giving Delia's ass down that phone. <laughs> Fucking hell. Using that oil of olive oil that they use for everyone else usually for like, with no use for this, nobody's pregnant. This is just like free lube. Oh, so you reckon they're oil-based rather than water-based? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So, yeah. But, so they're, 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 just, <laughs> they're just chilling in the bedroom. And you just can't convince me that they haven't shagged everywhere. Um, and it's very domestic. And Delia is trying to tune the radio for Radio Luxembourg. And Patrick she's tweaking. She's tweaking. She's she and she's very good with that dial. She's oh, done a lot of she's, yeah, yeah. She's tweaking. I like she's, that. I know in a bit of like eye contact. Like you see the way I'm twiddling this dial. Is it reminding you of like New Year's Eve? Yeah. If you wait long enough, I'll get my tongue around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Patsy's making. Let me unroll it. Hang on. <laughs> And in this scene, Patsy's making grasshoppers and Patsy looks really excited about these grasshoppers. Like it's a really nice drink. And for anyone who's wondering, it's not. No. Um, Babs got a really long storyline, which is proper boring about not having a wedding ring. He can't afford it. He's a priest. Uh, she didn't really want one, but it was upsetting his masculine pride that she didn't have an engagement ring. So in the end, she buys one for herself because sisters are doing, doing it for themselves. Yeah. And brilliant. Well done, Babs. You sorted out your husband's ego and you showed your feminist side all in one. Proud of you, baby girl. Excellent. Excellent a, chess player. A plus. A yep. plus. And if when he gets turns into a little knobhead once you're married, you can always bring it out and be like, I had to buy my own engagement ring. I'd sit the fuck down. <clears throat> Your masculinity is out the door. See these testicles I've got as earrings? Yours. Yep. Yours. Um, also in the and are scene, they lovely? They are. Hmm. In the next scene, Ursula has been bullying, and I'm going to put this in captions, she's bullying Cynthia. Um, but I have to say, it doesn't take a lot to bully Cynthia. Um, I feel like at this point, just a loud bang would would be enough. Yeah, I feel like Cynthia's on a on a knife edge here. Cynthia's on on a cliff. Yeah, yeah, she is. And then next scene, there's this kind of funny bit where they're all in a room together, and like she's and Cynthia, and like Ursula has taken the television. The television has oh, gone. Oh, why? And they're she's all doing such a bitch. <laughs> And they've all done, uh, they're all doing arts and crafts and like, this is... Silently, silently. (laughs) Everyone's fucking miserable and she's like, I do love how arts and crafts stimulates the conversation. 
And what fucking conversation in your head is that one? Is that the with God talking but, to you, love? Okay, so now I am personally speaking, like I am very, my sense of humour is very dry. Um, and whenever I go into a new situation, I really have to keep tabs on my sense of humour because it takes people who don't know me a very long time to work out that 95% of everything I say is sarcasm. Same. And I don't really have another form of communication open to me. So when I like first go into a new social situation, I really have to be like, ha, lol, lol, jokes, bear jokes, jokes about bears. Um, just to kind of, you know, ease people into the idea. Because if I just go in and can't be asked to do all of that, people at first either don't like me or they're like, that bitch what a bitch <laughs> like people really don't get it so i i kind of feel like is that her is, is her sense of humor just really dry <laughs> i i think i think she's played i don't know if she's dry but i genuinely think the writers played her for laughs and i don't think the audience got it no but i also like i feel like if i was in that same awkward situation with a lot of co-workers who I forced to do arts and crafts in silence I would probably make a comment like I love the way this stimulates the conversation because that's just how I am and I kind but then, of but then the actress isn't selling it she's not doing a bit of a a raised eyebrow or a bit of a you know there's 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 no selling of that line then if that makes sense but I feel like she is selling it like that okay is a completely deadpan like she's literally sitting there, but, there but, like, but nothing is one hundred percent deadpan though. Nothing is one hundred percent deadpan if it's a joke. Very true, very true. I also think this scene is like the the birth of a, the first ever pupcake meme, isn't it? You know when it's like oh, le- the, the judgy lesbians yeah. judging you and like not well. There is that. Because, but there's a lot of eye contact between Delia and Sister Crane, Nurse Crane rather, in this scene, which I think is yeah. interesting. It's like, is she for fucking real? But there's also, yeah. But there's also, it's also really interesting, and I think this has been talked about before on one of the forums, or maybe in fanfic, I can't remember, but about Delia is tying knots on Patsy's fingers, like yeah. almost like a symbolic wedding ringy in the same way that a blade of grass could be an engagement ring it's very symbolic of that yeah i mean i was going to ask you what is she actually doing because i thought it was macrame no Um, she's doing knots for the display for the um or i think it's knots so different types of knots you know like her I don't know different knots. Who knows knots? I'm a, I've done my sailing fucking courses and I can't remember any knots on the spot. Like a boatswain's knot? Yes. And a, yeah. and a, and a, and a, and a, and a stewardess's knot and a purser's knot. Hangman's knot. And a knot. captain's knot. Um, and a chef's knot. Yeah. And any other, knot. and any other character on Top below knot. deck that you can think of. Chief Cook's knot. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, no, I, there's a lot of judging and I think there's a lot of non-verbal going on within the group. But I do, I really like that A, Patsy and Delia are sitting together in this scene, but also that everyone, everyone's doing a singular activity, like they're knitting or whatever 
nurse Crane's doing with them blocks of wood. But no, like, it's photos. It's photo negatives. Oh, so she's sorting photo negatives. But like they're all doing singular things, and these two are doing a, a double ed. Like Patsy is just sitting there and let Delia tie her fingers. Yeah. And yeah, like I suppose it could I'd, be symbolic. I'd, I'd, I'd let Delia play with my fingers, wouldn't you? I just, I think it's interesting, the symbolism. But yeah, I really like that idea that, you know, if if Barbara's engagement ring can be a a blade of grass, then why can't their engagement ring be a bit of string? Mm. Food for thought, that. Food for thought. Food for thought. It wasn't my idea. I nicked it from somebody else. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, Meanwhile, Trudy goes into labour after being used as an ashtray. Um, Mickey sees it all. Really? That's that's how you're going to... Fucking hell. <laughs> Can I um, just say, people, that I never know how she's going to introduce the scenes. I just roll with them. And that one, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, it is it is a very brutal scene. Um, he stubs a cigarette out on her. Um, so oh, she's wow. then trapped in this room. Um, and <gasps> oh, oh, it's the Chucky scene. Yeah. How creepy is that silhouette with that kid? Oh, it's creepy. He's so creepy. Yeah, we've been just like carrying the knife Halloween up the theme. Yeah. I mean, a cute um, kid. Lovely kid. The kid oh, is really so cute. so sweet. But, you know, you carry a knife up the stairs like that, <laughs> people are going to get scared. It's the shadows. Like, they were doing all this stuff with the lighting. Mm. Um, but she manages to hack her way, a la Shining, out of the room. Like to stab away. Yes, but I really like the fact that she was she did it very neatly because it was her door and she didn't want to do that much damage, so she just did the lock. Yeah, fair play to her. And that well, is no, a woman who no, knows no. she's gonna have to clean up afterwards. It is, but it all it's also efficiency, isn't it? Why why struggle and do more than you have to when you can be very precise and get it done? It's lateral thinking, and we we on the podcast support lateral thinking of all types. I kinds. support all types of thinking. What I don't like is um, random stupidness. Exactly. It's just not necessary, is it? Well, but there's so much of it. This is true. That you can't. Do not on the Discord. Just in life. It, it, just if, in politics, especially at the moment. Oh God. Yeah. Let's not go there. But yeah, so she Trudy's in labour. Um, the son Mickey manages to get a knife to her. She hacks her way out, and they escape. And they manage to get the way to Nanatus, where they're going to be safe. Um, mm. Meanwhile, um, so they kind of um, Cynthia is struggling with her faith after her attack. Um, she kind of says that you know she sometimes she thinks that it's God's voice asking her to do things and then she thinks it's her voice asking her to do things and she can't separate the the voices and she keeps mentioning voices she mentions it a couple of times in this episode which is sort of you know with hearing voices so she's disassociating so disassociating is a symptom where a person will disassociate an element from themselves and then assume that 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 element although it's still them they think it's someone external so mm. for her, she has this kind of religious twinge to it. Because she's a nun, you would expect that level of religious mania to be there because she's going to take those holy orders. But she is an a, she's sort of confabulating and is unable to distinguish her own internal monologue 
to that of the voice of God, which is a bit disturbing. Assistant do that. It's disturbing to Sister Ursula as well, because did you see her face when she said that? Mm hmm. Now, here's my point about and I'll get to it, but I'll just finish it. I think she's exhibiting signs of complex PTSD as a result mm. of her initial assault. Um, and I don't believe Sister Ursula is being harsh. So in this scene, it starts up and Sister Ursula is asking her about her getting ready to take her final vows. Now, if you've got someone who is actually psychotic or who's really clinically unwell from a mental health point, is it actually ethical to allow them to make these huge life changing vows? When actually they're not in a fit mental state, they lack that capacity. Clearly not. And I don't think Sister Ursula in this moment, although later on she becomes more caricature, I actually think in this scene, Sister Ursula is talking to her and she doesn't ask her anything particularly heinous. She says, you know, how are you doing with your study and your final vows? And Cynthia becomes really reactive to that because it's a, a person in authority questioning her. And then she starts to give all of this weird sort of vibes about, you know, voices and not really knowing her own body and God. And she doesn't know. And Sister Ursula is concerned and kind of looks at that and thinks, OK, well, things are not right. Things are not you are not well. Um, and I think as well, it's interesting because we don't because this has all happened off camera while the rest of them have been in South Africa. We have missed that. And I think the idea with the script was initially that we as an audience should look at that and assume that Sister Ursula is being really harsh. And she's, you know, she must have been somehow bullying Cynthia throughout this whole process. And that's what's caused. But I don't believe that's what this is. I actually think what happened was Cynthia was attacked. She had an initial thing and then she was told she'd be really brave if she went to the police. And once the police had found out about it and she'd given her testimony and the man was taken to prison, that would cure the problem. Mm -hmm. But in actual fact, that's not how healing works. And I do think that Cynthia has kind of internalised and tried to avoid the trauma that happened by throwing herself into religion and in doing so, she hasn't actually managed that initial trauma, which has built and then added itself into her sort of like, it's always there, but she doesn't yeah. manage it. And this kind of has given her this low level anxiety, which she hasn't managed, which has built and built and built and built and built until she's really on this tenterhook. And any kind of big decision is therefore going to be really complex for her to make because she's not working at her usual capacity. Mm. I would also argue that in this presentation, she would also be depressed. Yeah. Which isn't being managed at all. And I do actually think Julienne's way of being like, we'll just love her better, isn't uh, going going to work. No. No. Because they've tried it and it hasn't worked. Because she was attacked and we never, you know, Cynthia says, I, I wasn't raped. I know that I wasn't raped. I know what that, do you know what I mean? Like this. And I also think, I really do headcanon with Cynthia that there is some other trauma. Yeah, we went into quite a lot of that last time when the, we talked about this episode. And I, I think there's just so complex PTSD happens when um, so PTSD is developed when someone has a traumatic um, event and that trauma event impacts their kind of mental state and long term will cause so there'll be lots of triggers and things that will remind people of that event complex ptsd is when there's been multiple traumatic events 
Now, I do think with Cynthia, I don't know whether it's because the actress herself is quite a nervous character, because I've seen her in other stuff and she has the same kind of vibe. But with Cynthia, Cynthia is this people. When we first meet Cynthia at the start of Call the Midwife, she's this people pleaser. She doesn't really have much of her own identity. She kind of links up with stronger identities like Trixie and Jenny Lee and kind of works from them. She's a very quiet and shy character. Yeah, but I didn't. Yes, but I don't get any um, trauma at that point from her. I do. Okay. Because she doesn't seek, like, she doesn't seek other relationships. And then this whole thing where she wants to be a nun, it very much makes me think of someone who is hiding and wants to be, wants that kind of protection of the church and that protection of the role yeah, but protection from what? Well, this is the point, and isn't that's it? where you're coming from. But you're seeing trauma in her childhood, which we've talked about before, and I go with you on that. But I remember there being a thick. So somebody obviously noticed very early on that Patsy was going to be gay before mm. Delia came on the scene, and there was this whole thick where. Um, Sister Mary Cynthia was asexual. Um, and took Patsy to a, basically a gay bar because she saw in Patsy something different and wanted her to explore that. Um, and I just wonder whether it's not necessarily trauma that she's hiding from. It's life in general. Maybe. But that kind of avoidancy of life does not happen overnight. Something has to trigger that. Well, something could trigger that by being, actually, I don't want to be married. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to find ways of making that not happen that aren't about me, but about what I'm doing, whether I'm a nurse or whether I'm a a nun. Yeah. I I don't know. In my head, I've always had this idea that, like, she's... Yeah, and I know. And when we discussed her trauma, I absolutely, you convinced me. You absolutely convinced me. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. And I'm I'm cherry picking somebody's fic that they wrote probably five years ago. (laughs) Maybe more. I don't know. But I also just think in this scene, Sister Ursula isn't being harsh. I think she's seen a deterioration in Cynthia and she's recognised it and she's asking serious questions. And, you know, healing is is awkward like having those difficult conversations and those awkward conversations and she doesn't even really ask her anything that awkward Mm. but Cynthia is awkward in of herself like she's so internalized and so jumbled up there is that there's almost the start of that kind of religious mania um that I would associate with sort of the beginning of psychosis and it it's really interesting like the she kind of has this poetic prosy way of speaking and kind of enunciating her feelings in visuals which makes me think okay is there unseen stimuli what is going on because that's an irregular kind of it's an interesting way of portraying your feelings and it's interesting that you do that every time and that's a bit, but it's just I find her character really interesting. Oh, by far one of the more interesting characters that's ever been in Call the Midwife. Hmm. And I also think with Sister Ursula, I really wish they'd done more with her. 
because I think her character is really interesting. From the first well, moment I saw her in the series, I really enjoyed her character, and I wish you. But wasn't she brought in quite late round more? She was brought into the series, I think, as uh, I think they wanted to shake up Nanatus and there to be a little bit of. Um, no, I think line. no, no, wasn't wasn't Miranda Hart supposed to come back for this episode for this series and she couldn't come back? Something happened last minute, so I think what they did was have to rewrite a lot of stuff, and which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons why I think Sister Ursula was actually played a bit more for laughs than we're quite getting. Maybe that would make sense. Um, and it, she was there to fill the void from um, Miranda Hart not coming back. Is that how I understood it at the time? I could very, very well be wrong. Well, that might explain why some. I find these episodes, especially the scenes with Patsy and Delia, I find them really cut away. I feel like they filmed them all very quickly in sequence well, and then I, cut them into the episode i think they did but i think that was down to emerald fennel's schedule yeah i think um, she wanted to leave and i certainly yeah with patsy's bits if you in think the series she doesn't actually so we know from what they've said in all of the interviews and or everything, whether it's TV interviews or media uh, written interviews, is that the birth scenes take the most time to film. They take the most time to choreograph and they take the most time to film. And if you notice, Patsy doesn't have a birth scene. The only scene of a birth she's involved with is the, um, Trudy's, and all she does is have her hand on her back, which... Anybody could have been in the choreographing and rehearsal of that scene. And then Patsy or Emerald just comes in to film it. So I think Emerald's scenes were very, very truncated. Yeah, I feel like and I also feel like because she was clearly leaving and she didn't really want to leave and they wanted her to be. And I think there was a bit of I just feel like it was very rushed. The storyline here. And I feel like that comes across. And also the fucking wig. Is oh, awful. wig cracking. Oh, wig the crackin'. wig is so bad. Oh, it's fucking awful. And they even tried to put somebody in the first episode that's got almost a similar haircut to try oh. and justify it. It's like, yeah, no. we're not like, we're not that stupid Heidi. We, we know she doesn't want to be here. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but I really wish they'd done more with that. But then Julian and Ursula clash and I find it weird that they're so opposed because actually they're both coming from a place of care about Cynthia. They're both mm. like, you know, Ursula is like, she needs professional help. And she is not well. And and Julian's like, what she needs is love. And it's oh, like, love heals all. No, she love. fucking doesn't. She needs sertraline, 100 milligrams for a fucking start. And then she needs some fucking clear, she needs some fucking work attached to trauma therapy. She needs trauma focused counselling is what she needs. Um mm. In the meantime, Lester has found Trudy in the net maternity home. He threatens her, so she runs home, wants a divorce. Her mother is a woman of the time and therefore sides with Lester. And it's all looking very trouble up nil. You know, she's going to lose her kids and all that stuff. Um, Next scene, Cynthia has actually gone round to Trudy's house to kind of support Trudy. And while she's there, Lester turns up and smashes a window. And this is a massive trigger point for Cynthia because... The banging, the shouting. Do you know what? It was a fucking massive trigger point for me as well. He's overreacting in that fucking scene. Jesus. 
But he, you know, he's trying to smash his way through the door and he smashes the window. And at one point, Cynthia is huddling in with Trudy and shivering and it's too much. And it clearly mm. throws her into her attack and maybe other stuff. Who knows? Um, yeah. But she reacts to it and it sends her back and it triggers her trauma. And then, you know, it, it, she's shaking. She's pale. She goes back to Nanatus and she, Fred goes, oh, sister, have you got a puncture? And she's afraid of Fred. She drops her her bike and is is shivering and she goes to the bathroom which is weirdly where she went after her attack yeah that was it's really almost, interesting it's almost like she's reliving the whole trauma but oh, I also think, well that's exactly what's going on mm, in her but, head but also i find it interesting that she goes back to the bathroom and they all know she's in there so i'm like is a bathroom a safe space where else did you go to hide in a bathroom because it's interesting you've gone both times well, the bathroom is probably the only place where there's a lock on the door. True, but she hasn't locked the door. Um, she becomes very childlike and she's fearful and she doesn't want people to come in. She doesn't want people to touch her. Um, and Monica Joan, once again, like she did when she was first attacked, she comes in and she soothes her and she gives her a sedative. Um, and Cynthia just has this full on meltdown. She starts reciting verses of the Bible and she can't finish. And she says she's got too much work to do and she can't stop. She must continue to work. And there's that mania again, which is quite, um, but it's that hypervigilance as well. It's self imposed as well. Nobody else mm. is putting this on her. It is self imposed. Yeah. But that self imposed, that kind of harsh stricture. Mm. I think part of it, the reason why she is developing this PTSD. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah, she's obviously just, if I carry on, everything will go away and I will be fine. And ultimately, that isn't how this party goes. Sometimes we have to have those difficult conversations and she just can't do it. She's locked in. Um, So they give Mm. her a sedative um, and Julian and Monica Joan recite verse and comfort her. And I think in this scene, you're supposed to think that Monica Joan and uh, Julianne are amazing and they're really good and they really care about her. And and I suppose this is supposed to reflect on Ursula and Ursula is somehow supposed to be the villain. But I don't think she is. I think she's more progressive in the way she deals with it than they are. I think they both have. I think they're both valid. I think she does need care and I think she needs to be loved and I think she needs that really. But she also needs treatment. She absolutely does. Like she is scrambling around and it's that let's brush it under the carpet and work really hard and love one another. That's not fixed the problem. No. Um, And then later on, Julianne does actually admit that she didn't do enough after the attack. So she goes to see Sheila and she tells Sheila, you know, I wanted her to be well. I wanted her to, you know, what her her harm to heal along with her bruises. And she because she's a people pleaser, I knew she was a people pleaser. That's exactly what she did. She brushed under the carpet and she told everyone she was all right. And she wasn't. And that's good insight. But I think it comes a little bit too late. And I did think I remember saying when we watched that episode, they don't do enough to support Cynthia in the aftermath. No, they don't. And this is what happens. Um, but Sheila kind of goes, oh, that's really sad. Anyway, I'm pregnant. Um, <laughs> Yay, me! Yay, Yay! And she's like, just remember, I'm your favourite child, Julianne. Um, <laughs> Cynthia was the stand-in that never really made it. So uh, stop talking about that girl and uh, be happy for me, your adoptive child, that I am pregnant. You're going to be a grandma! Yahoo! Woo! 
the next day, Cynthia is examined by Dr. Turner. She is lucid, but really poetic and prosaic in her uh, words. She says her mind is like a blackboard with birds on it and all of this stuff. And it is really bizarre. And it's childlike as well, which makes me think that there is childhood trauma. So when somebody has that trauma, they can regress. So sometimes with when you speak to someone with complex um, PTSD or PTSD, there will be a regression in functional skill. So people may become they may regress down to a very childlike state where they want to be just be nurtured and cared for. But they may also regress to the age when they were first traumatized, which also kind of backs my idea that there's childhood trauma. Um, so whenever I watch this, I'm like, ah, oh, that would be that would be such an interesting conversation. Um, I also think if Trixie was there, Trixie would have been able to do something more because they have that special relationship. And I feel like everybody else either infantilizes you- Cynthia or they don't really know her because Cynthia is quite insular. And I think she changes her personality to suit the person that she's dealing with. So with Julianne, she almost becomes another Sheila. She kind of looks, there's that mother daughter role that Cynthia is constantly pushing for and Julianne doesn't really have with her. And I just feel like if Trixie was there, cause Trixie actually, and it's interesting in later scenes when, you know, Cynthia is sent to an institution that Trixie is the only one that spots and finds out where she is. Nobody else does that follow up work. Okay. Um, in the next scene, um, Phyllis is making Brandy Alexander's, which is another cocktail which I won't be drinking. There was a lot of vigorous shaking going on. Oh, that whatever his name, that that um, airman was a lucky man. Um, Patsy comes in and her demeanour is very cold. Um, and she's different and she looks over and she sees that Delia is sitting on her bed as she was in the previous scene when they were very comfortable. And she said, if you wouldn't mind getting off my bed, I'm very oh, tired. Yeah, Ooh. that that was properly hurt the person you love the most. Yeah, that is absolutely like a, an angry, tantruming child. Like, I'm hurt. Now you're going to hurt too, bitch. Um, and Delia's like, What? What? Did we not? How dare you speak to me in this room where we had sex 95 times? <laughs> it was more than that. It was it more was than that. In one night. Um, <laughs> um, they all look very shocked. Um, and I have to say, this is the point where Patsy receives her first letter. Yes. Yeah. The scene after this, Cynthia From has Beatrice been... Lockhurst. Yes. I paused it to read that. I was very diligent. Be what? That's the woman who said Beatrice Lockhurst. Um, oh, something house, Victoria Mount House. No, it wasn't. Um, I googled it actually to see if it was a real place. I wonder if it's still in my. Go on, find out. Oh, I think I might have overrode it with the um, whole Sarah Waters looking. <laughs> Queenstown House, Victoria, Hong Kong. Ah, and was it a real place? Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, I don't know if Queenstown House was, but Victoria was originally called Queenstown. So I think that's probably them being a bit clever and a bit cute with the naming. But it also potentially shows that Patsy's family's been out there for a very long time. Yeah. Well, I think we can all kind of tell that Patsy's 
got some kind of aristocratic background. She's not middle class. She's upper middle class. I don't think she's aristocratic. Do you not? I don't get aristocratic. I get very much a lot of new money. I get um, shipping vibe. Her father is a shipping merchant. Yeah, I get a lot. I get absolutely mint. It was sort of Bezos level of money. Um, But um, I don't get I don't get titles and old money vibes off her. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so in the next scene, Cynthia is sent away and we don't see Cynthia be sent away. It's done off camera. Ursula is kind of talking to Dr. Turner and says, you know, I, so you if know, I hadn't heard your input, I would know she needs psychiatric help. Yeah. There was an interesting scene. I think we perhaps glossed over it a little bit, but I would just like to mention. Mm. Um, so there's a scene where um, Cynthia opens the curtains the morning after the Trudy affair. Um, she opens the curtains and she squints because the sunlight is so bright. Um, and it reminded me of when she was attacked and the squinting she did because her eyes were so swollen from being hit. Um, yeah. And I just thought that was a, a really nice hark back, a reminder to us of how painful that period was. Um, and it just it really struck me um, that I wanted to mention it. I've mentioned it. I'm happy. No, I think she absolutely relives her trauma. But I also think there's no way she hasn't relived her trauma several times since the attack. I just think no one's been that interested to keep an eye on her. But given what you've said, it's not new trauma either. That trauma that we know from that episode is probably reliving some previous trauma as well. And I, I think in the books as well, it says, I think at the end of the Jenny were actually the work, because Cynthia and Trixie were actually characters, mm. as as were kind of the original cast. And I think Cynthia's fate was to be in a mental institution for the rest of her life. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, which would track with maybe like chronic schizophrenia or something like that. Um, so Cynthia is sent away. Um, and Trudy has left her children with the police station, hoping that they'll be protected by the police from her husband. Phyllis is an absolute brick and sorts it all out with a good pep talk. And good on Phyllis. We love Phyllis for that. Good on um, Phyllis. The next scene, uh, Patsy and Delia are finally talking. So Patsy comes into Delia's bedroom and Delia says, you know, she's lost track of how many times Patsy has crept into her bedroom. And she's always wondering, you know, will it be happy Pats or excited Pats or sad Pats or troubled Pats? And I love all of those girls. And I'm like, oh, look at you giving your consistent love. And this is the key. And Patsy then sits up and says, you know, what about apologetic Pats? Um, And she apologises and she says that something's happened and that's why she's upset. And I do think that this actually shows a huge amount of growth because Patsy usually has to go away and change her outfits three times and have a shower before she (laughs) apologises. But in this scene, she has, you know, she's sought Delia out and she knows that what she did was wrong. And she recognises that her reaction was based on a specific trigger which was the letter. And I think that does show growth because Patsy in the first time we met her, I don't think she would have that level of insight. No, I don't think so. Um, 
And, you know, she apologises to Delia and says that something's happened. She's had a letter from Hong Kong and her father has got a degenerative condition of the nervous system, which I'm assuming would be something like MS, mm. which would be genetic. So anyone wants to write us? The, no, there's, there is somebody that goes into that the whole something that may not happen is yeah. Patsy getting it as well. Somebody's well, written that. I thought they might have because MS or ME or something to do with the nervous system, maybe like Huntingdon's or something, that is all, they're all genetic. So Patsy would definitely be likely or have high propensity to develop that if her mother was also a carrier. Um, Patsy, I like this scene because I think, first of all, the fucking wig is awful. The wig is awful in this scene. Wig cracking. Terrible. Wig cracking. But also, I think Patsy is seeking support from Delia, and she she's acknowledging she's acknowledging that what she's doing is she's been unkind to Delia, and I think that is a massive growth for Patsy. Like Patsy has grown because Delia has been about. But I also think yeah, but I think also that Patsy hits out at Delia when she's upset when there's things not going right. Yeah, and Delia and just I, takes it because she's an Delia absolute takes champ. It. Yeah. <laughs> um. But this is also, so Patsy is acknowledging, first of all, she's talking about her past quite openly, like Delia knows her past. But this letter from her father says that she has to, it's returning to Hong Kong. It's returning to her place of original trauma. It's returning to memories of her mother and her sister in her early childhood before they had to go to the camps. It's it's the life that she left as a young teenager following the camp Mm. and a relationship that, you know, it's very cold and distant. Um, also, I think it's interesting that her father didn't tell her he was dying until he's effectively died. Like, didn't tell him, that, didn't tell her that she he was ill. So he in himself is quite distant. Um, and I, I kind of get a bit annoyed because Patsy takes a lot of the responsibility onto herself in the next couple of episodes. But I kind of want to be like, right, I understand they both were in the camps and everything and people, but she was a child and he was the parent. Yeah, but he might feel that, you know, my time's done. You know, I, I've lost my wife. I've lost my other daughter. My living daughter, Patsy, wants to go off and do other things. I'm going to let her do that. I'm not going to intrude. Um, and I'm going to give her the space she needs to achieve that. Um, mm. but actually time, but actually I'm so bad now that I want her here with me. Um, and I wonder whether there's a, there's a, there's a distance been built up between what happened to them, but there's also been a distance built up because he wants her to have a life. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I totally get that headcanon, like, completely, but I'm gonna dispute it in the next episode because okay. I've got some points, but, um, Oh, you've always got points. Always got a couple oh. of points. Um, Patsy, and also Patsy has her life in Poplar. You know, she's happy where she is. Delia is her safe space. Um, actually, no, I'm not going to talk about the next episode. I'm going to talk about this episode. But okay, Patsy is completely, she would, she's hyper independent. And hyper independence is a psychological term which is used, is a trauma response to being abused. Basically, uh, an adult who, or a child who is hyper independent is someone who would be scolded or reprimanded or belittled if they tried to seek support from a parent. So obviously, 
you know, in Patsy's case, she was in a death camp. Everyone's fucking dead. And anyone that she did try and seek, there was no one to seek support. And if she had been, if she, she tried to get support from someone, you know, that would have opened itself to more loss. So as a result, she's had to be very independent. She's had to fix her own problems and solve her own things. You know, in modern terms, someone who is hyper independent, you know, they'd be characterized as an overachiever, um, someone who can't ask for help, someone who can't delegate tasks in the workplace, um, prefers to do their own thing, um, hyper guarded against any, you know, very weird, frightened of abandonment, um, hyper vigilant in friendships and relationships um prefer to be kind of a lone wolf not great in group activities um tends to be better on a one-on-one <laughs> tends to be better on a one-on-one activity um very bad in kind of teamwork as i said um but very guarded very frightened of rejection of change and you know it, this is also characterized by when they are in a relationship when they do open themselves up to someone they have very poor boundaries um very fearful, very emotional. They can be very hot and cold. They don't really know how to manage their emotions and therefore they need that guidance. And Delia is perfect for Patsy because she kind of has this radical acceptance where she's like, you know, you know, when she says, you know, I love all of those girls. I love every facet of you and I accept every aspect of you. I, you know, when you're angry, when you're sad, when you're, you're troubled, when you're happy, I love every element of you and I'm just willing to, sit here and let any version of you walk through the door and I will love all of those aspects of your personality. And she provides that for Patsy. And because she provides that and she's this safe space and she, because the way that you kind of, I suppose like a therapeutic intervention for someone who has that hyper independence, which kind of is impacting their lifestyle is to ask them to do small little goals, asking people, can you hold that door for me? Would you do this job for me? Um, can you can you go to the shop and go and get me a bre- loaf of bread? It's all of that is basically getting that individual to test their own individual boundaries and get them to understand when it is appropriate to ask for support and when it is not. Because of course, not everybody around you is, go- is your friend and is going to help you. So it's about teaching you those things that you were never taught in childhood because you didn't have those opportunities. Delia has basically done that. Because of that, Patsy has grown. She's grown to us as an audience and she's grown as a character in her emotional maturity. And this definitely comes to the forefront when she talks about her dad, because not only does she initially, she goes through this whole cycle in the next episode, but she kind of, she's this hyper-rational, hyper-independent, like, if I can't do this, then... And also, the interesting thing about hyper-independent people is they tend to really struggle with, like, needy people. Anyone who's really needy, they're like, oh, no, I... Oh, they kind of want to get away from them as soon as possible. But they themselves are actually quite needy internally. Um, But they, they just suck at being able to seek... So they're constantly seeking validation through other ways. And it's like, oh, just... Because they don't want to ask, do you still love me? Do you like me? Because... <laughs> uh, and if anybody's listening to this and feels really called out, don't worry, babes. We're all do there. You, do you still like me, Charlie? I love you, Kim. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, um, so I just think it's really interesting because Patsy is actually going to Delia for advice. She's saying, to mm. her, you know, I, I've received this, you know, he's going to die. I don't want to leave. And she says that, you know, she said, I'm I'm happy here. And that continues throughout the next episode as well, because Delia is Patsy's home and, and Delia is that safe space. And Delia is the person that Patsy is 
finally comfortable with and she has these safe boundaries and Delia helps her to set these boundaries and Delia loves her no matter what and because of that she can kind of explore the other stuff that Patsy hasn't had an opportunity because she hasn't had someone she trusts enough to let her do that so because of that Patsy's improved and like her emotional intelligence has improved so she's it's tricky because when she goes back to her dad, she's got to face all of this trauma. But because she's better or more kind of emotionally intelligent, it's actually going to be more painful because it's going to have different nuance. But in fact, she's probably better equipped. So it's going to hurt. But she'll probably be able to get over it faster because she's she's healed. So there yeah. you go. That's that's Yay! my Yay. <laughs> Woo. Growth. Um, and <laughs> I love that that meme. Gross, gross. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now we're moving on to episode two, series six, episode two. Um, so again, this episode kind of starts as a parallel to the f- previous episode with Patsy and Delia running through the hallways and being really happy together. Uh, being How so was- happy, giggling, and you know, oh, it's lovely. They're, and they're told stop running through the corridors, like they're like free spirited young girls in a boarding school um yeah and not yeah. grown women with a career and a profession it's mallory towers all over um but then patsy gets another letter from hong kong and these letters are stacking up and and she's avoiding reading it she doesn't want to do it and delia is pushing her to do it she keeps saying you know you really should read it and patsy's like no, no i think I... delia's out of order here really yeah, I think, like, fuck off, love. It's my family. I'll read it when I want to read it. I, don't, I didn't think there was anything wrong with putting it in your pocket, thinking I'll read it later. I really I didn't. Think, no, I didn't. But I. this is that hyper-independence, though, because Patsy's like, I will do it when I am ready to do it, and I will not be told when or not to do it, because I know best about when I should or not do that. And that's fine. I think Delia's point is, this is, you've had lots of letters, and also Delia, bless We her. don't know that. No, we don't. But I also we think, don't know that. But Delia's future is also tangled up in this, that Patsy has to go yeah. to Hong Kong. And I think part of it is the fact that Delia's like, just fucking get on with it so that I can know as well, because I have well, a plan. Delia's, Delia's future is tied up in it, but it's very personal for Patsy. There's a lot going on here that perhaps Delia, in her isolated sense of the world didn't understand um what i didn't like about this scene actually is where uh patsy says come on busby have you lost your have marbles, you lost your marbles? Didn't delia, like ha- delia didn't has like a brain injury patsy when didn't she like yeah that. when she goes have you lost your, have you lost your marbles busby didn't like it thought that and was I, mean i feel like but i feel like it was mean because delia was pushing her points and then patsy kind of came out swinging no it's, it's completely toxic think but i feel like it writing actually i think that <laughs> was just the writers being a bit they, for, they forgot ooh, the milk ooh, float lost your marbles is a great 1960s term let's use that she has a brain injury although that oh, is never man. discussed again like it is just never touched what the fuck really. is with that like, Delia has cured everybody. That's how brain injuries Yay! work. Yay, milk floats. We're immune to milk floats from now on. <laughs> um, next scene, Ursula. Sister Ursula is getting mean, and the company are becoming mutinous because of all of her meanness. Um, oh, Fletcher Christian. Where's that? 
in this episode, Patsy is a midwife to a couple with dwarfism. Um, Penny is the mother of the week, and she is booked in for a C-section. Um, and then the next scene, Patsy and Delia are laying on the bed like it's a coffin. Oh, I... my fucking God. Plank of wood scene. Here we come. It's oh, awful. my God. I mean, there is no intimacy in that scene fucking ever. People, your actors, be better. And I feel like they're like, yeah, you know, Patsy's so distant because have either of you ever cuddled someone in your entire life? Like, are you aware that this is like, this is how cuddling works? And and they just don't like, Dee is really like, Kate Lamb is trying very hard to. What, with her arm like that? No, she's not. Fuck off. Neither of them them are trying in this scene. They're like, okay, so Emerald Fidel is, right, I don't fucking want to be a lesbian, I'm off. And Kate Lamb is like, I fucking wanted to be a lesbian, this is my cow. You're fucking off to some other TV series or film that you want to do, bitch. That's That's where the context of this scene is. But it's awful. And I mean, like, so, oh, and this is, again, like, just rehashing. Delia wants Patsy to read the letter, and Patsy doesn't want to read the letter. She doesn't want I've to go seen. home. And I think it's interesting that Patsy calls it home. Yeah, she does, actually, yeah. She calls it home. Can I just say, though, I've seen better acting when I tried to tell my parents that I've done not, I've not done my homework. I'm not being funny, but <laughs> fuck off. It felt like... The scene was really wooden, but also I just oh, feel like planker wood, planker wood scene. That's what it's I, called. I remember called watching this and being scene. like, they look as though they've been embalmed or something. Like, why are they, they so rigid? They do not look like they love each other or are at all intimate in any way. Well done, people. Okay, so um, no. so the it's just. I just, I hate this scene. It could have been so much better. So much better. And there are, there are so many ways that they, like, could have sat on that bed and shown intimacy without cuddling. Like, sat up, holding each other. You know, um, there is, oh, my God, so many ways. I've been more intimate with people I don't even like in the <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's not the best of scenes, but also, you know, Patsy is like, oh, I don't want to read the letter, and Dean is going to read the letter. And I just feel like the whole scene was a waste of... It was a waste. The, the dialogue was repetitive, and the scene itself was poorly acted. I feel as though they just... It was poorly acted. They just didn't sell. I didn't watch that and think, God, there's a couple who love each other and who are going to wait while one of them goes to Hong Kong. Like, I just felt it was all... I wonder if that's the last scene they they did together. Ooh, don't know. Interesting. But, uh, it's just... Oh, it's awful. It it should have been cut. I I feel like later on in this... Phyllis is later on in this episode is more tactile with Delia than Patsy is. Well, not more tactile because there's no touching, but she's definitely more emotionally connected. There's no emotional connection in that scene whatsoever. I mean, they could have been, it could have been um, a drive through at McDonald's. That's how 
un- it just emotional it was. I'll have a Big Mac, please. Oh, what? From Hong Kong? Fuck you. Sorry, that was it, mean. It was just... <laughs> Uh, in the next scene, Sheila's got morning sickness and they don't know how to tell the kids. Oh, fuck I mean, off, after that, Oh, no one cares about your miracle baby. Um, and then the next scene, Phyllis sees Patsy and Delia. I and do, Delia I is do coming really out of fancy, Patsy's room. I do really fancy the actress that plays Sheila, though. Just saying. Uh, Phyllis Crane is an absolute brick. And, like, and she immediately knows, which makes me see, think that maybe she's seen other lesbians. Or she's seen oh, some yeah. shit, man. Like she, she's not surprised. A, she's not surprised. So clearly, people have some kind of sixth sense. But also, she doesn't like. She doesn't recoil. Like she's a woman of the world, and she's like, "Yep, okay, I'm not going to say anything." But I've seen this. But she, uh, um, sorry, Phyllis, um, she was in love, and her love was taken away from her because of war. So I feel like people that have experienced it and had it taken away are more. Um, sympathetic of people who feel it and it's like well if that's true I'm going to fight for them to have that um, yeah and I think that's a big thing with that scene as well I think we need, I think we need the allies we do need the allies thank you Jane we love you we love you um, Jane we love you Jane um, but I feel like Phyllis is our Jane and Jane is our Phyllis yeah, they're basically the same person. They are. They Just are. Jane's a bit more Southern American. Yeah, and likes cocktails or not. Her parents like cocktails, and I I, I appreciate that, given we that I'm drinking cocktail. their cocktail of choice. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, the importance of allies cannot be over-egged. Uh, the next scene, Valerie is introduced. Yay, um, Val! And she's barmaiding and friends with Jesse and George. And Jesse and George are the other family that are having Jesse a baby. And, and, and I'm kind of going to quickly segue through this because it's not really prevalent to Pupcake. But um, Jesse's having the baby. Jesse is also the actress who plays Princess Anne in yes! The Crown. Oh, my God. Wasn't she good in The Crown? She was so good. She's also a massive gay, I believe. Yeah. And I would quite like to meet her. So if she, she listens well to the podcast, hot. my yeah. telephone number is... Bring it. It's really mine. <laughs> I um I'm married and I don't want to sleep with you, but I would absolutely love to go for a drink with you because you seem really cool. Um, okay, so, so you... date me and we'll go for a drink with Charlie and her wife. Absolutely, be it. it'd be amazing. My wife's yeah. obsessed with the crown, so I'd get kudos points for that. Um uh, shit. I also shit. I gave my actual telephone number out. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sam, can we edit? <laughs> can we please edit Kim's actual phone number? Her actual—that's not even her phone number. Her phone number is um o one seven nine four sixty four sixty nine sixty nine. That's my work number. Yeah. So anyway, ring us. Shit. <laughs> a bit of panic going on on the other end of the line. 
<laughs> but yeah. Um, oh, you also like the fact that there are um, 10 actors in the UK and we just trap them in a big box. And yeah. And whenever, whenever there's like some kind of long running series, every actor in the UK will be in it. And I feel like Call the Midwife is one of those series. Um, Patsy's storyline with the Reeds, which is the um, couple with the dwarfism, emulates her personal struggle, I think. Um, Penny is pregnant, and if she gives birth, then she is a high risk of death, miscarriage, or both. And she's been told to abort the child, but she doesn't... She She's kind of, instead of dealing with that, she's moved to another county and had a new kind of midwife. She has risks. Uh, she's avoiding the truth. And it's causing a lot of tension between her and her husband, who is afraid for her. And I feel like this is a direct parallel between Patsy and Delia and Patsy not answering the letter. Patsy knows that, you know, she knows that her father is going to die. She recognises that there are risks. She doesn't want to receive or check this letters that have been sent um, that are giving her an update on her father's death. Because by doing that, that will mean that she has to make a choice. And if she has to make a choice, then she'll have to leave Delia. Delia is concerned both for Patsy's well-being. Um, in that she recognises that actually Patsy does need to face this or she'll regret it. But also Delia is worried for Patsy and this is causing tension in their relationship. So I feel like it's a very clear parallel between the two. OK. Um, <laughs> in, in the next scene, a warehouse explodes. And oh, my Felix God. How, yeah. like, they blew the fucking bloodjet on that, didn't they? They um, really did. They were like, let's All take the fireworks went on that. Um, but Sheila and Val arrive on the scene. Valerie was in Quarank, which is the Queen Alexander Royal Army Corps, which, uh, as a side note, I originally was going to apply for. Okay, as a side note, I work with somebody that was in that. Oh, <gasps> really? And her daughter is a transgender. Oh, well, there we go. Circles within circles. Circles but, um, within circles. Um, but anyway, we have some motion. very interesting conversations in the office. Oh, I've learned a lot do. from her. I have learned a lot from her. I'll bet. It's a pretty cool regiment. It, well, pretty cool life. Yeah. Mm. Um, but anyway, George, who is the husband of the actress who plays Queen Anne, he's been blinded <laughs> in the fire. <laughs> And Valerie looks after him because he's got no eyes. Um, oh, and nice introduction for Valerie. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I kind of cried at this point, I'll be honest. It, there was it a lot was... of emotion. She, um, I feel like um, Jennifer Kirby sold this scene brilliantly. I I was there with her. I felt like I was somebody kneeling before them. As she was cradling him, as he was upset, and I really was there when I was watching it. Um, and I love um, Val because of this scene. I think I think we need more Val. We need more Val. I feel like with Val, what I find really disappointing with her is that in her this whole episode, in fact, a lot of episodes later on, is that she's a veteran. She's a veteran. She was in the army. Uh, she's a poplar girl, and I feel like they just really underuse her character because they later on they pair her with Lucille, and then they become the big duo. And I just feel like you know it was a missed from, opportunity. They yeah. they didn't do anything with it yeah. really, and I feel like they could have done a lot more. 
and mm. they just didn't. Um, and I find that really frustrating because I think there wasn't. But a she lot did of... have that. Ma- she had that massive storyline though with her nun. I mean, that was really that was really good. Yeah, but I feel like they could have given that to somebody else. I understand they wanted the local link, but I also feel like they could have done something with a veteran a bit more with her, like her mm. her angle of being a veteran, especially like. Now there are a lot of female veterans who, but back in that time, there really wouldn't have been a lot. And I feel like more could have been done. And I remember when Val first came in and Patsy obviously left, I think there was a lot of thought that Val was going to be the new lesbian. Okay. I remember people being like, is this another gay? Um, I remember people thinking that. I never, I never remember getting that from the storylines. No, I never got it from the storylines. I always thought that Val had had an abortion. I thought that was her big yeah. storyline. Yeah. And I, I felt like they were kind of leading up to that. And then they went a completely different direction. And I feel like all the build up, I feel like someone changed their mind in the writing room <laughs> with that one. Heidi! Um, fuck Heidi! Me. We see it all, Heidi. Um, we know, love. We know. Um, Julianne is on it like a car bonnet when she realises that Val's a nurse with local connections. She's like, oh, where are you living? What are you wearing? What are you doing with your time? Um, Like, immediately, (laughs) she is so on it. She's like, oh, you must come round for tea. You must hang round with us because I want you. Um, Ursula announces that the nurses and midwives do too much, which, I mean, I kind of agree with. I've been harping on about this for the last couple of, since we started this podcast that the nurses do not and I understand for the sake of like but sometimes it is fucking ridiculous yeah they don't sleep they don't sleep they they work too hard you know you've got tricks is an alcoholic Cynthia's in an institution you know people are ill the lesbians are just depressed people have died people have died Jenny Lee vanished Cynthia's like um Chummy vanished. We don't know where they well, go. Well, Jenny Lee would rather nurse people that are dying than be popular because she's that tired. Like Julianne is burning out people left, right, and centre. And then you know, Ursula's like, we actually do too much, and I think we need to pare that down. And they all really take offence at this. And like, I Hell. know, but it's, it's like, true. It like you know, truth hurts, babe, but. You know, and I feel like they kind of play it off as she wants them to stop caring about patients. I don't think she wants them to stop caring about patients. I think no. what she's saying is we have a huge workload and there's like four of us and four seeing nuns that come through the sewers every night. We've got a very short amount of staffing. We need to look at what we're doing. And actually, because while it's lovely that you're taking people to these, is are all of our jobs being done? Because, you know, someone in that is going to be neglected. Yeah, and, a, and they all become really mutinous about this. Um, and and then they kind of make her mean by saying that she wants Sister Monica Jones to be sent away. And it's like, oh, Monica Jones not going anywhere. Um, later on, Sheila and uh, Doctor Turner try and tell Tim that she's pregnant, but Tim has already worked it all out. And then he makes a weird comment about he doesn't want to know about his parents' sex life. Which, good, I'm glad that you don't want to know. Bizarre. About your- bizarre it's i'm like no it's bizarre i want to know the moment the moment i was conceived and i want to know exactly what my mum and dad felt at that time really 
Yeah, because I feel like that given what they do now, that's the only time they were happy in my life. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> um uh, so Patsy comes back to Ninatus and um, she's been carrying around this letter for the entire fucking episode and uh, her contract is coming to an end and she needs to go and direct a film. So she quickly whips <laughs> it out of her bag. We know um, that film, don't we? Come on. <laughs> and she finally opens the letter when she's on her own and she needs to do things at her own pace. So, you know, I, I respect that. However, on reading it, she immediately goes on an absolute mad one cleaning spree. Um, scrubbing down everything in the kitchen um, and she's doing instead of thinking because that's what the voiding attachment style looks like so there we are people um, and Monica Joan comes in and obviously Monica Joan is the person that talks oh, people off brilliant! she's brilliant in this scene she is and Patsy because they all become really childlike when they're talking to Monica Joan because obviously there's that respect and she mm. says that you know she, her father's dying um, she can't make him better so she's being hyper rational. She's kind of like, you know, me going there, I can't stop him from dying. And surely my only purpose in this is to be a nurse and to have a role. And I don't have a role because he's going to die. I can't because I can't fix the issue. Like if if it was a blood transfusion or an organ donation, Patsy would be there. But he's just dying. So what on earth can I do? Because she can ease him on his way. But Patsy doesn't get that because she's hyper-rational and she doesn't have that emotional intelligence. But that is rational. That That is saying that I can't... No, it isn't. Well, it is because it's saying I can't achieve anything from this, but I can actually make this smoother for you. I can I can hold your hand and I can love you and I can say it's okay. But Patsy can put that into context with other people as a nurse. But what she can't do is put it into context with the relationship with her father, which tells me that he is. So she says she says that he's dying. I can't make him better. Um, And then she says, I'm good at taking care of my patients. I'm good at an artist. I'm good at Poplar. But losing someone. No, I'm not good at that. So she understands that actually this is hugely traumatizing. Like she's going she'd be going there to see her father die just since she watched her mother die and her sister die and he is yeah. putting a lot on her by asking her to do that um and she doesn't because he know loves how to... her he wants her he wants her there yeah he's um, dying he's this is his last breath and he mm-hmm. he wants her there but she doesn't know how to be vulnerable you know she's lost everyone at this point and this is the last link to her family and also you know, she is frightened of loss. We've been saying this all along. You know, she insulates herself. And I think it's interesting because she sort of insulates herself from fear. Which is, And there is a fine line between being careful of your heart and being fragile and never taking any kind of risk or putting yourself in any position which may make you uncomfortable. And Patsy has kind of, well, I think at the start of the series, Patsy was someone who would never willingly place herself in an emotionally compromising or vulnerable position. And and now now she is someone who recognises actually you have to be able to place yourself in those positions. But once again, because because risk is always a component of growth and change. Like if you never want to change, you never want to change your life. you, You have to take risks. Well, there has to be risk. It's risk and reward, whether yeah. it's financial or love or whatever. 
risk and reward. It, I mean, these concepts work for a reason. Yeah. And I feel like Patsy is Patsy is aware enough to recognise that actually going to see her father is something that she should do. She, Her childhood, her trauma, is this black hole that follows her throughout the entire series. It, it's hugely influential on in how she behaves and how she manages herself, how she engages with others, her relationships with other people, how she formulates relationships, how she is as a person, how she responds to things as stressful situations. She needs to face this head on and get some kind of closure because closure will allow her to start to heal that trauma in the way that that Patsy that we met when she first arrived would not have been able to to do that because she didn't have the emotional intelligence. She hadn't grown enough. She hadn't made herself vulnerable and then been allowed to grow from that vulnerability in a positive way with Delia to know that actually it's safe to do that. So she so, has tested stuff with Delia and now she needs to go and do this. So I was just going to come on to the fact that a lot of fanfic sort of explores where Patsy and Delia's relationship started. Is it an old relationship? Is it a new relationship? When she joins an artist. What you're saying kind of leans more towards it being a newer relationship than an older relationship. I think that there was a relationship before Patsy came to Nanatus. And in my headcanon, and this is just my headcanon, I believe that Patsy, first of all, struggles with her sexuality to some degree. And I also believe that her having any kind of relationship or long term attachment was never part of her plan. So I could well and truly see Patsy being friends with Delia and then that friendship being a little bit more. And then that frightening her and then maybe Dee was doing a bit of pushing and throwing and eventually I could see them having some sort of kiss or something happening. And then I think that was the um, impetus for her to go to Nanatus. I think she didn't like her job. She felt stifled by that. But I also think some kind of emotional thing because they would have lived together in that nursing's home. And I think she ran away. And I think Nanatus was her way of running away. And then when she got to Nanatus, I think she missed Delia and went back to her and they kind of started from there. But I think there was something before before she came to Nanatus. But I think Patsy was running away when she went to Nanatus. I find that interesting. OK, what's your head down then? No, um, not dissimilar, to be fair. So, um I really like, um, so people, if you're into the fanfic, Convergence for me is the ultimate headcanon on how they met and formed an initial relationship. And that's sort of where I see things developing from. I, I That's absolute, in my head, that's absolute canon. The power of fanfiction writers, guys. I mean, think Busby, think you're a dream. I wish you were still writing. If you're listening to the podcast, please write more. Please write more. You are amazing. There are a lot. To be fair, can I just say that the segue, who cares? I don't fuck off. But anyway, um, there are so many good writers in this fanficdom that it's unbelievable. There are, there are allowed 
sort of 20 people you could name um, and you, you wouldn't be surprised if they were um, professional writers. Yourself yeah, among no, there them. Are... The, yourself mm, among them. I think there are some really good... Uh, to be fair, I don't even think it's just called The Midwife. I think AO3, Archive of Our Own, I, I think there are some fix on Archive of Our Own which honestly are just books. They're... Yeah. There are, I have certain fics that I will go back to again and again and again and again, and I just love reading them. And it's like, they're just so good. They're so good. But even in Pupcake, there are so yeah. many good writers. So many good writers. It's, it's weird that there's such a concentration of talent. I think it's so impressive. I, um, you know what they say, they don't they? Everybody's got one good book in them. Well, Frankly, you've got three, so well. thank you. <laughs> if I ever finish them, um, people go on to AO3, look up Super Banana, look up other people such as um, JoJo, um, Now See Here. Um, th- th- there are so many people. Think there are Busby so many Think. good. Think, but oh my Echo. god, Echo. Echo. Um, chips in the chapel, whatever. But there is so scribbler. many um, scribbler. Oh my god, scribbler! Fuck you, bitch. Um, you're amazing. But there are so many good writers. It's um, it's unfathomable how much talent there is out there. It, how is how is there that much talent? Honestly, Why? there there are a lot, and I feel like yeah, it it, it was a, especially like I think four years ago with the archive of our own it just exploded and there was this absolute golden age of i remember the halcyon days of coming home from work and there were like four updates per night yeah. on yeah pupgate thick and i was at, like yes at one and, point and now I i'm would, lucky if there's four a year honestly i there was a time right where i would be writing on my lunch break and i would write a thousand words in like half an hour Jesus. And I would just, I would just be writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. And it just, it never stopped. And now I'm like, <laughs> I do write them good words sometimes. Oh, oh there, no. they don't come out like they, they don't come down on that their page no more. They don't oh, visit us. Oh my god. Why have we got um, something? Oh, That's sorry, like, so sorry. I'm sorry, Jane. I'm so just sorry, so Jane. Sorry. Um, Miranda, I'm uh, so sorry. Are... Danny, all of you Southern people, I'm very sorry. Well, the North Carolinians, uh, especially. No, Zoe's so, so fine. Zoe's so great. She's brilliant. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, um, Val and Sheila meet for this inquiry about the, the exploding warehouse, and Val is very clearly a veteran. They bang on and on and on about it. And she talks about, like, dead men. Oh, they bang? Really? They bang? (laughs) Honestly, they bang. Um, The next scene, Mrs. Reed is in hospital. And um, they treat her like a science experiment. And I really love that Delia is protecting Patsy's patient. Because obviously they've talked about her patient because they have that domestic kind of background now. So they have these conversations about Patsy's patient. And Delia instantly knows who she is. And she protects her for Patsy. So when... The baby is born. Delia is present in the birth, which again, Patsy isn't there because Emerald Fennell had a very tight schedule. Um, and then she, <laughs> fo- she follows up. Doesn't it's not, she, it's with not Patsy. just a tight schedule, is it? Let's face it. She then follows up with Patsy, tells her everything. 
Um, and then Patsy comes to tell Penny, who who believes that her child is dead. Um, she says that she's had a healthy baby girl, um, but the baby is normal size, doesn't have autism, um, which frightens mum and dad as they don't know if they can love a big child. Patsy gives a speech about a family's love and how a mother will overcome any injustice and that, you know, that child will love their parent no matter what. And Patsy, babe, like you need therapy. Stop using your work as a conduit to have these big emotional, like stop it. Um, um, But she says, and Patsy then starts talking about herself and it's like, babe, like this woman's been through enough, but fine. Um, Patsy says she closed her heart to her father. And her father is now dying. Um, the, her father was an adult and she was a child who'd just come out of a death camp. So I feel a little bit frustrated for Patsy that she's still taking responsibility as the hyper-independent adult that she is and the hyper-independent yeah, child that but... she would have been. Like, I get it. I get it. She's got that guilt because she hasn't been answering the letters. But on another account, her, it's a two-way street. And I don't really see her dad sent her to boarding school in England. And then, but he's from that generation where that was a normal thing to do, and he lost his wife and he lost his other daughter, and there's probably a lot of trauma going on for him, and he probably felt that he didn't have the capabilities to be there for her. Be, be yeah, there for, so he, to, for he, her. He left her to work it all out on her own, and now he's dying, and he wants her to come back and soothe that guilt. No, he he doesn't want her to come back and soothe that guilt. He wants to come her to come back and for him to say actually I really loved you and I want you to I'm my love time on this planet is limited and before I go I want you to know that I loved you and I want you to know that I cared for you and I felt like I made the best decision for you at the time um Mm. and I'm here to say that I respect whatever choices you've made I love you and I want to say goodbye in a in a decent way. Deep man, that's deep. I'm really deep. I go deep, babes. Babe, that's you all are I can so say. deep. I go deep. Um, Anybody Patsy that wants her. a Christmas visit, I will go deep. If you don't want me to go deep, make sure you write that on your little cards that we will send out on our um, appreciation. Uh, feedback forms yeah yeah mainly kim will be sending those cards out (laughs) uh, it's nearly christmas it's nearly christmas come on if you would like kim to go deep with you do let us know on the discord um meanwhile patsy calls her childhood home um and uh, a maid answers and the maid's like oh your father doesn't stop asking for you do you know he's dying um, Patsy's then very upset and she's walking down the hall and Ursula kind of takes her to task because she's been hanging out with the dwarfism family too much. She tries to give her a dressing down and Patsy just quits on the spot and she's like, I'm going to Hong Kong <gasps> for, my dying, for my dying father, you bitch. And then she <laughs> leaves and she leaves like 15p because she's like, yeah, bitch, I'm rich now. I'm basically going to have an inheritance, so fuck you. Um, <laughs> Patsy Here's a telephone is- call. <laughs> Here you go, have 15p. Have it on me. Bill me. Patsy and Delia sit in the garden following this, Ooh. and Patsy's smoking nervously. And Delia oh, I hate is... that. Hate oh, it. 
And Dee Dee's in the background. She sort of says, you know, um, Patsy's doing the right thing. And it's almost like Dee Dee is trying to talk herself into it as well. Because Dee Dee is also about to lose her girlfriend for an, an extended period of time. And Patsy said, how will we cope? And Dee Dee goes, we'll write, we'll wait, we'll love. Same as everybody. Now, first of all, I find this completely ironic as Patsy absolutely doesn't write jack shit to her the entire time she's away. Like, Patsy, the woman has told you what you need to do. Write a fucking letter. Um B, Patsy's journey. So I Googled this to find out. And by boat from London to Hong Kong, it takes 46 days. Okay. Why are you doing a weird one king motion? I'm just, you know, I'm I'm throwing my baby in the air. But 46 days. Okay. So that is, we'll give it like three months there and back again. Okay. And then she's obviously got to look after her dying dad, who seems like he's on his last legs anyway. So by the time she gets there, I'm imagining he'll be dead quite quick. So let's say five months. That's how long Patsy's away. Five months. Not one fucking letter. Not one. Not one fucking phone call. Not one phone call. Patsy's rich. She's inherited like a whole millions, millions, millions. Not one fucking phone call. Patsy, you bitch. Um, I just trauma. It's trauma. And you know what I mean? Like, and I get she's, it. Like, she she's lost down. everyone. She hasn't, though. She's got a girlfriend back in Poplar. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Mind you, yeah, now she's ahead of the shipping. She'll have a girl in every port. Well, she will. There is that. But um, losing a chosen love to a given love is slightly different, surely. True. Very true. Um. But Delia, like, it just goes back, doesn't it? Delia has taught her how to have a healthy relationship. And it's, Actually, fuck off. <laughs> like, in, re- in comparison to what Patsy was kind of capable of before. But I, going to see what? her dad Shut is like, it's like, <laughs> we've got 10 minutes left. Hang tight. Um, but, you know, Patsy's going to get closure. It's painful. Um, but she's grown, you know, she really has grown. And there's that kind of argument between survival mode mindset, which is what Patsy kind of was as a child, to healthy working through things and actually going to have that closure in those conversations, which she does need to do. Um, and as you know, they say it will always hurt, but sometimes that wreckage makes bricks from which we build great things. Fuck off, says, who said that? <laughs> I said it. And oh, wow. Patsy says, sometimes... Not a is that what you are? <laughs> Um, Patsy says sometimes we have to stop wandering and worrying and simply do and good for you Patsy oh fuck off with your trite shit (laughs) Patsy's packing her case and Delia says I love you and also she puts a little letter in a case she doesn't say it she doesn't say it she doesn't say I love you back which is not what you want when you go that's weird she does say it back when she gets in the car oh it's too late yeah, it's a bit delayed. Like, could you imagine? Like, I love you. You're about to vanish for five months. Nothing. I'd feel like, fuck you then. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, oh, I'm yeah. going to go and shag the next girl I see on the I'm gonna road. Go to, <laughs> I'm going to go to Gateways and bang a couple of broads. Um, oh, yeah, they, should we do that? That'd be great. They almost kiss, don't they? They almost kiss. They te- oh, it's te- again. So much with oh. the kiss. Fucking hell, it's like the Christmas special just, all over again. This is just queer basing at this point. Yeah. Like, just let them kiss. If they, like, they would kiss. But they don't even let the straights kiss. They do! I mean, Patrick, no, Patrick found out his wife was pregnant and all he did was hug her. 
Yeah, but that's because Heidi doesn't want her husband to be <laughs> kissing other women. Yeah, and Laura Main is hot. She is absolutely fit. She is hot. Fair. Can I um, can I just say that Laura Main is my like girl goals from the whole of CTM. I don't care who you are, I don't care what you've done, but Laura Main, if you've got my you know my number now because I've said it out. <laughs> live if you want to if you want to experience girl love please ring me <laughs> right um, so Fred, in, Fred interrupts the kiss doesn't he and I, I really want to punch Fred in the face because fuck you Fred but also why didn't they let them kiss I don't know I don't it's, I do not know it's it, at this point. It just becomes an absolute. Can you slap hurry up? Because I really need okay, a wee. Okay, okay. I'm nearly finished. Um, <laughs> um, what was in the letter? Delia obviously wrote a letter, and I think there was a fan fiction about the letter that they wrote to one another. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Oh my god! Write that. Yeah. And then they get to the car, and Patsy sort of is saying goodbye to everyone and hugging everybody, and then she says to Delia, "Oh, goodbye, old thing." And as she hugs, oh, her, she says, "I love you." I love you. Um, yeah. And then she gets in the car and fucks off. And Delia is left. She alone. can't even look out the window either at them. She's got to no, look the she other way. She doesn't even look back. She's Jesus. like, bye then. And bye, like, I'm I... gone. Fuck you. And Delia is left alone. And she has to trust Patsy in this moment. She has to trust her. But it must be so lonely being the only oh. gay. And also, you've basically moved into your girlfriend's fl- uh, like flat. With all these roommates that are her friends, and all now these you have none to... roommates. Yeah, like it's a lot, um, and it must be awful. Like I'd really feel for Delia, and she kind of—I imagine she'd want to go with Patsy to protect her, but they can't because they're secret. So she can't even be like really she, sad. She fucking could go. Fuck off. Um, there could there could have been a whole Christmas special out in Singapore. It would have been amazing. Be better <laughs> than fucking South Africa. And and then Phyllis, uh, Phyllis, bless her, she recognises that Delia will be sad, so she gives oh. her a book of Spanish poems, and yeah. she recites the poem It's True by Frederico Garcia, um, which is a beautiful poem, and she recites it in full because it's quite short. Um, I don't really know what a hat means, though. What's that? I think the translation is, I believe somebody did say in a comment once in one of my fix that the Spanish translation is very different. Um, okay. So it means more in Spanish than it does in English. Okay, because it it's like what fuck off. <laughs> I don't get this shit. But uh, you know, I like that Philip. People, I've got them. I've got three English degrees and I didn't get it. Oh no, there's only two. I no, ignore that. You're adding degrees. <laughs> But um, but yeah, so you know, she's acknowledging that Delia is in pain, and I really like that she does that because good for her, and it's so needed. And to not be able to say when you're in pain hurts. So it, yeah, Phyllis, and I love that the kind of the bromance between Phyllis and Delia. Good for them. Um, and then that was in a the, really well, that was a really well acted scene. It was. I, but I, I have like, to say, I think that was brilliant. It was. And then Delia sneaks in. This episode ends with Delia sneaking into Patsy's bedroom. She sprays some of Patsy's perfume that she's left and she gets into Patsy's bed. Um, and I suppose this is like a, a an older, ye oldie days version of stealing someone's hoodies. Um, 
like do you, do, 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 you never, do you remember being a teenager and being like in love and like you'd go for a sleepover something and then you'd nick their hoodies at the end of no. it and be like oh this it smells of them i really miss no. them no no i just no. used to steal their teeth <laughs> 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 I'd extract them while they were asleep. Sexy. And then I'd grind them down and drink. Do you know them. what? Like, you know, when we agreed we would meet up one day, I yeah. uh, will. It will not be a sleepover because I need my teeth. Fuck you. I'm just. I'm saying, if that's that's you know, lose a finger. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. So guys, this is is the end of the penultimate episode. So the next episode will be our final episode. No (gasps) more habits and bicycles. No more. That's it. We're done. Oh my god, I'm so relieved. Um. So strap in for uh, our final episode, or or strap on and meet me behind the bike sheds. You can do that after we finish the final episode. Okay. Either way, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, she won't be able to sit down though so definitely after the next episode I don't need to sit down I just need pleasure she does she really does um, but yeah guys so if you have got any requests for the final episode pop it on the discord put it on a review on um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify let us know what you think um, and yeah Guys, we'll see you in the final episode next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.